This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. This episode is also brought to you by the official Star Trek Starships collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 238, Rightful Air. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for messages, morals, and meanings, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up today. This week, Rightful Air, the one where Worf tries to work out just what it means to be a Klingon. Well, one of 12, probably, of those kinds of episodes. Collect them all, won't you? More specifically, this is the one where Worf goes to find Kaelas, and does... Or does he? Mm. I've got trivia in a moment, but first... But first, a word from Blue Apron. A better way to cook. You've heard us talk about Blue Apron for a while now, and when you hear how much care Blue Apron takes with, you know, getting the right ingredients, with changing up the recipes, with with bringing food straight to your door, uh, you may think it's too expensive, but it's really not that expensive. I mean, unless you're eating, like, you know ramen noodles every night if you're doing that maybe maybe i've done that (laughs) well we've all done it i mean it's a cheap Mm -hmm. way to eat i understand that but here's what i'm saying uh that is the only way that blue apron is expensive otherwise it's actually affordable yeah for less than ten dollars per person per meal blue apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals and if you're like me you, you might be. I don't know. Uh, it'll step up your own cooking game as well, because they're going to send you recipes with ingredients you've never used before. And heck, you might not have even heard of some of them, but you try them, you like them. And the next time you're at the store, well, hey, there's more in the store. I, I've done that, Ken. I've actually I hold on to the recipe cards because mm-hmm. I, I cook this uh, pork loin one time that uh, that I got from Blue Apron. And the technique was really easy. And I was like, you know what? I just learned something, and I can do that again and again. That kind of thing really does happen to people like me and John and, heck, maybe you too. Uh, Because those recipes, um, uh, you'll use some of the same ingredients again, but you can choose from a variety of new recipes each week. Or the other thing you can do is just let Blue Apron choose for you. Uh, Recipes are not repeated within a year, so you won't be eating the same thing week after week after week. What we would really like for you to do, though, is to find out more about Blue Apron for yourself. And once again, here's John Champion to tell you how. Well, thank you, Ken Ray. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash mission log. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash mission log. Blue Apron, a better way to cook, and a huge thanks to Blue Apron for sponsoring this week's show. And now, I'll give you $100 if you have a hard-boiled egg in your purse. Sorry, there was something about the handoff that we did there. It felt sort of game show, Mm -hmm. didn't it? Yeah, it was nice. We should do that more often. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think we should. And encourage people to write to us in Studio City. Mm-hmm. No, that's not how they write to us. But there are a bunch of ways that people can get in touch with us. And uh, I'm going to tell them how to do that right now. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Speaking of which, we got an episode coming up right now. But before we get to the other parts of the episode, we get to John Champion's trivia. Thank you, Ken. Trivia for today's episode, Rightful Air. Well, the story was written by James E. Brooks. No, not an L. Don't don't confuse those two. This is James's only professional writing credit. Um, and it is worth noting that he is another find from that open door submission policy that we have talked about in the past. Now, Teleplay, so really much more of this story is due to Ronald D. Moore. Now, it was really his baby and at the encouragement of Jerry Taylor. So what James had submitted was lovingly called Jurassic Wharf, and uh, the original story had more to do with the mechanics and ethics and politics of resurrecting a spiritual leader. Kalos was actually not in James's original script. So Ron Moore took the premise in a different direction, which was to examine spirituality in the 24th century, and they decided that Wharf was really the only character they could do this with. So as we may know by now, uh, much of the main, at least human characters are largely presented in Gene's vision uh, as being secular, aligning with his own beliefs. So breaking this story then became an interesting conversation in the writer's room about religion and belief and spirituality and how to present that. The episode was directed by Wienrich Kolbe, and appropriately, we last saw his work in Birthright Part 1. And yeah, those two, Birthright Part 1 and 2, along with this one, were being developed around the same time. That's why you have a lot of crossover in names and places and, you know, all those little threads that kind of tie together. Ken, you remember the first time we saw Kalos on screen in Star Trek? Uh, no, it was not that statue that Worf has in his room. It was in the original series, in the Savage Curtain. We actually have a screen Kales to compare this one to. Look a little bit different. Was that the one with um, Abraham Lincoln? Sure was. And uh, and we learned that Kales in that episode had a really cool trick. He could mimic other people's voices, which I'm really bummed we did not get to see here. That would have been <laughs> super cool if they brought that back. Yeah, it would. There are lots of deleted scenes for this episode. I'll just hit a couple of the highlights here. Uh, We would have actually opened Act 1 with Picard and Riker discussing Worf before Picard pays him a visit. You don't really have to have it. There's just a little extra bit of business there. Uh, We would have had a longer moment between Worf and Kalas after their first meet on Boreth. We would have actually seen Deanna Troy. Her scene was cut. And it's one in which Data mentions that Kalos has been gone for 1,547, ding, 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 47 years. Uh, This scene would have been right after the Act 3 opening with Picard mentioning that they have a special guest coming on board. And then we would have had more between Worf and Kalos in Worf's quarters. I'm sorry, actually in Kalos's quarters and more just before Worf reveals what's going on to the assembled group in the uh, conference room. There's a lot. There's just a lot. And you can see it all on the Blu-ray for season six. 
Here's an interesting little factoid. They used $4,000 worth of beeswax candles in Kalos' chamber. Uh, that's in 1993 dollars. I'm sure that today it's like a million, depending on when you're hearing our show. Um, and that was according to Jim Meese. Now, Jim Meese was the set decorator on Next Gen. He got his start doing production design work for big touring bands in the 70s and early 80s. He passed away in 2013. And like many people who work behind the scenes on Star Trek, there are references to his name that have popped up in the show, uh, maybe on the odd acutogram here and there. And uh, thank you, by the way, to Dr. Trek, our own Larry Nemechek, for uh, sharing that little bit of trivia with me. Now, let's talk about guest stars. Um, of course, you can't have a Klingon episode now without mentioning Gowron. And here he is. The dynamic Robert O'Reilly is back with us. We have Alan Oppenheimer as Koroth. Now, Alan is a New Yorker. He started back in the early 60s with TV guest appearances. Everything from Andy Griffith to I Spy and multiple appearances on Hogan's Heroes. Later in his career, he transitioned over into voiceover, just cranking out a ton of work uh, from He-Man to She-Ra, the Smurfs to James Bond Jr. Now, you actually may know him best as Dr. Rudy Wells from The Six Million Dollar Man. Uh, no, no, not, no not, not that one that you're thinking of. And nope, nope, he's, he's not that one either. He's that one. I'm, I'm sorry. Not that one, not that one, that one. What do you mean? Oh, yeah, because, you see, there are three Dr. Rudy Wells. And if I say Dr. Rudy Wells, you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I know who that is. Nope. No, 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 no. No, he's he's <laughs> not the one you're thinking of. And you go, oh, wait, there was another one. No, not that one either. This, totally the third one. Okay. Alan Oppenheimer will be back for Deep Space Nine and Voyager and even a video game appearance in Starfleet Command, Volume 2. Torin is played by Norman Snow. Norman is primarily a soap opera actor. This is his only Trek appearance, but he has a handful of other genre guest appearances like Quantum Leap, and he was in the 1984 classic film The Last Starfighter. Now, that young Klingon Divock is played by Charles Esten, and this is one of his earliest professional credits as an actor, but he has had a really prolific career ever since. In addition to a mountain of TV roles, he has appeared in movies like The Postman and Swing Vote, and he is one of the stars of the show Nashville, and we will see him again on Voyager. And finally, we have Kevin Conway as Kales. Kevin is another one of those actors with a really varied resume. Early TV appearances led to interesting roles like playing Frederick Treves in the TV movie version of The Elephant Man. Uh, he later shows up in recurring roles on Oz, The Black Donnellys, and much more. Interestingly, he was the control voice for the opening credits of the new Outer Limits series in the 90s. And um, I'm going to tease a little bit of trivia that might come out later down the road, also courtesy of our friend Dr. Trek. Uh, we don't see kevin conway again as kalis and uh it, it might have been because well some of the people in the production just weren't crazy about his presence and performance as kalis good morning to you good morning to you we are all in our places with bright shiny faces except for Worf. his face is shiny but he is out of place in more ways than one Prologue. Lieutenant Junior J arrives first for his shift on the bridge. Oh, wait, it's, uh, it's Riker taking over, so it's not a story about her. 
Nothing new for Data to report, at least not interesting to Riker anyway. But where's Worf? It's time for him to be at work too, and he's not there. He's in his quarters though, and Riker takes a team to investigate. There they find a serious fire hazard, and Worf giving them all the intense Klingon crazy eye. Act 1. Picard is not too happy with Worf shirking his duties, but he's an understanding enough boss to try to get to the bottom of what's happening. Worf is having a bit of a crisis of faith. Remember six episodes ago when he liberated all those young Klingons from a Romulan prison? He talked to them about Klingon mythology and beliefs. Well, he wants to have a vision of his own that Kalos will come back to him, just like he promised to the Klingon people 1,500 years ago. So Worf takes a leave of absence. He'll go to Boreth, a holy place where Klingon believers wait for Kalos. Arriving at the matte painting, sorry, uh, Boreth, Worf embarks on his spiritual quest again. There are priests and fire and crazy eyes and so much sweat. Worf is growing a little impatient that he hasn't had a vision yet, while seemingly others have. One of the priests reminds Worf, who is just ready to pack it in, that you don't give up on someone who promised to return 15 centuries ago after only 10 days. Back to the fire pit, back to the crazy eyes, back to all that sweat. And then, out of nowhere, Kales appears. He just fades into existence. He walks straight over to Worf. Now give Kales a hug. Act 2. Need proof that this is Kales? Well, he tells a story about how he created the Batleth, a story only known to the highest clerics. They say it checks out, so yeah, must be the real deal. Kales explains that he has come back because the Klingons need him. There's too much infighting. They've lost their way. Of all the people to be skeptical of this, Worf. He gets out his tricorder, only to discover that the person calling himself Kales is indeed a Klingon. But does that make him Kales? Try this, then. Kales tells Worf about coming to him in a vision when Worf was just a child, telling him that he would do something no other Klingon had done before. Still not quite there, Worf pulls a Fox Mulder and says he wants to believe. Kales is confident that he'll be able to just waltz in and assume power from Gowron, even if the people in the room right now, Worf especially, are not necessarily sold on his plan. So we know this is leading to some good old-fashioned Klingon conversation. I mean, fighting. And it's kind of a draw. Kales lets out a warrior's chuckle, and they gets all in the room to chant with him, We are Klingon! We are Klingon! Act 3. Guess who's coming to Boreth? It's the Enterprise, so it looks like Worf won't have a return trip of 12 days in a shuttle. Everyone else gets to meet Kales and wonder if he's really who he says he is, but the mission is simply to get him to the Klingon homeworld. Data wonders if Worf will find empirical evidence of Kales' identity, but Worf says it's really a matter of faith, and, and anyway, he's just not sure if he can wrap his mind around it. Maybe they can talk about it later. Arriving on the scene in a Klingon warship, it's our old friend Gowron, and you might be right if you assume he isn't too thrilled to meet the man who could unseat his power. He's not ready to believe the claims of this stranger anyway, and Picard kind of tells him politely, yeah, that's all your problem, not mine. Gowron is determined, though, to prove that this is an imposter. Kalos is fine with being tested, even if the clerics around him are not. It's pretty straightforward. Gowron has brought back a sacred knife, stained with blood from the real Kales. 
All they have to do is run a quick genetic test with it and some blood from the new Kalos to see if there's a match. Before you can say Worf has daddy issues, the computer has a result. The DNA sample from the knife and Kalos are identical. So Kalos really is Kalos. Act 4. Nothing like celebrating over a glass of Klingon Warnog. Worf is now really curious about his new friend, like, where have you been for 1,500 years, and what's it like on the other side? Kayla being flesh and blood now isn't too sure, but he does know that he wants Worf's help in establishing a new Klingon era. After all, Worf is the only one of them who is a Starfleet officer. That was flattering enough that Worf is on board, even preaching the new gospel to Gowron, and that goes about how you'd expect. Gowron is opposed, strongly. He sees Kaelas as a threat, of course, and he's pretty sure people on his ship are already planning to drop what they're doing and follow this new guy. Worf is all hippy-dippy and peace and love, for a Klingon anyway. He says it'll be great. Kaelas will unify all the Klingons, ushering in a new era. In Kaelas' throne room, or a version on the holodeck anyway, the moment has come. There's a parable involving death, where Kalos is essentially saying, do not stand in my way. Gowron is still skeptical when the details are sketchy. He even pulls a knife on Kalos, and you guessed it, a bit more of a Klingon throwdown. This time, though, it's not so much a draw. Gowron roundly beats Kalos, and Worf is the one who has to step in and prevent a skewering. Maybe the game is up. Maybe if he can be beaten, this isn't really Kalos. Act 5. So how could this happen? Did Gowron cheat? Is Worf somehow at fault? Quick, who can we blame? Worf turns on Kaelas. He's sketchy on his own stories, he doesn't know what Warnog tastes like, and he just got his bumpy forehead handed to him in a fight. He's not Kaelas at all. Koroth, the old Klingon guardian, speaks up. Kaelas was brought back by design. He's a clone. What's more, he was programmed by the priests and scientists with some of the stories of Kalos. He's a test-tube messiah, and Worf sees this as a big lie, while Korath says they just might be fulfilling a prophecy anyway, especially if this is what it takes to bring about peace. Worf threatens to tell Gowron, but Korath reminds him that this is the last chance to bring back peace to the Klingon Empire. In the throne room simulation, a handful of true believers await Kalos. Worf is done with it, but he talks to Data. He doesn't know what he believes. Data tells him about himself then. When he was told that he's merely an android, he felt limited by his programming, that he would never be anything more. He chose to believe that he had more potential, and he believes it to this day. It was a leap of faith. Worf goes to Gowron and the other Klingons assembled in the conference room, yeah, this Kalos is a clone, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter to some of the Klingons here, even some of Gowron's own men. They believe in the idea of Kalos so much that he can't be stopped. Worf makes an impassioned plea. It doesn't matter if Kalos is real or not. What matters is that the Klingons who believe him want to believe, and neither Gowron nor anyone else can stop that. It would be civil war to simply hand over the seat of government to Kalos, but there's an alternative. Make Kalos emperor. 
That position has been non-existent for three centuries, so why not give Kales the job? Sure, he'd be a figurehead, but he'd be responsible for spiritual matters, for making the Klingon heart feel good. Gowron would still be in charge of political matters. Of course, they'll tell the Klingon people the real truth about what brought back Kales, but he is the rightful heir. Golf clap for mentioning the title. Thank you to Kales. And if you don't, well, expect a fight. So... Kales's clone has a job now, and everybody is happy-ish. Worf maybe not so much, though. He's wondering if the real Kales is out there, going to make a return one day. But the Kales clone has a few words for him. The legacy of his philosophy lives on. So who cares if the person is a lie? The words are more important than the man. Kapla, the end. So just so I'm clear, yeah. Uh, don't eat. Right. Don't get comfortable. Never. Sit with other people as devoted, let's say, as yourself. Mm-hmm. Focus on one idea to the exclusion of all other ideas, and it will be considered divine if you suddenly think you see the thing that you've been concentrating on mm-hmm. uh, without eating and without sleeping and with a bunch of other people just like you. Yeah. So that's a vision. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. See, I'm, I'm more of a road to Damascus kind of guy myself, okay. right? Paul's like minding his own. He's driving down the road. He's blinded by light. Jesus appears to him, right? Mm-hmm. Worf, on the other hand, goes and starves himself and won't sleep and keeps chanting Kalos's name. And he's sitting in the dark and there are a bunch of other people around him hoping for the same thing. How are you not going to see what you want to see at that point? Mm-hmm. All sweating. All sweating. All sweating. The all sweating K-less. Oh, I'm sorry. You mean all the people are sweating. Yes, I understand what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I also couldn't help thinking, I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I, we haven't done a Dune reference in quite a while. No, it's about time. It yeah, really it is. Yeah. Um, and if you haven't read Dune, yeah, really, it's over 50 years old at this point. Uh, the priests of K-less are kind of like a low-rent Benny Gesserit, aren't they? Okay. Do you remember what the Benny Gesserit were? Do you know? Because well, yeah. they... They were a combination, right, of people who were like, I mean, both prophesying, but then also arranging for the prophecy to come true. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. Okay. Over the course of like 10,000 years, they were doing that. I mean, they were running mm-hmm. a breeding program and all that stuff. And that's how the whole thing got screwed up, because the uh, the Kwisatz Haderach came early, because Jessica decided she wanted to give Duke Leto an heir. I'm ruining mm. the whole thing for you, people. That's, that's right. Don't that's even fine. get me into Count Fenric, okay? Because yeah. cause I'll go there if you all make right. me. Because that's what they did, right? I mm-hmm. mean, they, they basically have been sitting there saying, oh, Kalis is coming, Kalis. Hey, look, Kalis. <laughs> and it's like, wow. You know, it took the Bene Gesserit like 10,000 years. These guys waited 1,500, maybe a little bit less than that. Yeah. I, I have one other question about their whole scheme. Okay. We really need to look into what kind of um, transporter they used to bring him in. Yeah, right? Because it's sort of a fade in. Right. It wasn't a Klingon transporter. It certainly wasn't a Federation transporter. Yep. Wasn't Romulan because it wasn't green. Right. Right. And yet Worf would have picked up on that immediately. And I, I lied. There is one last, one really last thing. Okay. How does it occur to no one until Act 4 that he might be a clone? <laughs> well, well, it, it did take Dr. Crusher to ask some pointed questions and, and you know, make some points <laughs> like, could it be a coalescent being? By the way, a, a nice, nice callback to Aquiel. I'm glad that we all remember that one fondly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, some kind of shapeshifter, which, of course, there aren't any. And oh, actually, there are. Mm-hmm. There are now, mm-hmm. aren't there? Because now because this is that part 
where DS9 is actually running at the same time. So theoretically, you and I would have watched that one day, and then we would have watched the other one a couple of days later. So Shapeshifter is not a weird we, thing. We've seen that before. Wesley dated one for a brief while. Yeah, yeah you know. that's true. Was she a shapeshifter, though, or was she like a monster who took human form? Uh, oh. We, that's, that's a bit different. Yeah. I mean, she couldn't just be whatever she wanted, could she? Although, I guess she could. If she can take human form, why couldn't she be a Klingon? Why couldn't she be a Vulcan? Ken, we can all be whatever we want to be. <laughs> yeah, so my mom mm-hmm. keeps telling me. <laughs> so, um, so I mentioned that we had their shout out to Aquiel, but I'm glad that we have uh, a continuing through line here of what Worf had already been through. It's only been a few weeks since Birthright, and he is all over that, giving us a quick recap, uh, name checking the places that he was. So good job, continuity. Nice to see that happen. Yeah. Yeah. It was actually, I mean, TNG does remember much better than TOS ever did yeah, what it's sure. been through. I mean, I think the, probably probably one of the first real callbacks in TOS was Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. <laughs> yeah, maybe, right, right. right? Yeah. Otherwise, it's like, yeah, you know, it's something happened last week. Maybe, maybe not. We don't remember. Um, it really actually, it is it is neat to see something. I mean, and that actually matters, too. Not just like, you know, oh, yes, this thing I picked up in this place. Like, you know, oh, you play the flute. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do, because of a thing that happened one time. I mean, it's, it, it's interesting to see this, as you say, it's through the line. It was, it was kind of neat to see that. Yeah. Hey, uh, let's talk for just a moment here about how they take shuttles everywhere on Star Trek, particularly in Next Gen. This is not the first time that we've, you know, like when Scotty came for a visit here, you can take this shuttle. It'll take you a couple of weeks to get to this, you know, retirement village that you're going to. Um, They take shuttles everywhere. This trip will take Worf a really long time. I don't think I could do it. Um, even with autopilot and even with a replicator, uh, that thing is tiny. It's like a van. It's like a good sized van and you can't go outside. You can't just pull over to like a Stuckey's and get out and, you know, walk around in there for a little while. I'd wait for a starship. Imagine this. I thought of it this way. You're on a luxury cruise in the middle of the Pacific and you're like, I really want to go over this other place. And the captain says, fine, it's about two weeks away depending on how fast you can row a lifeboat. Yeah, well, kind of. You know, here, here, here's rations, you know, you, you can go. Sort of. I mean, yeah. Worf doesn't have to row to another planet. He doesn't have to row, right. but I'm just saying space is a dangerous place. If every week on Next Gen has taught us something, you're going to run into something at least once a week. You make a good point. And keep in mind, you know, Worf has gone for about a month or more. Um, how far away did the Enterprise get and then have to circle back around to Boreth. Yeah. Like, oh, we were on our way to this thing. Picard was going to dig for old clay pots or something. But, oh, now we got to go back and pick up Worf. And by the way, where's the shuttle? You know, you know I honestly thought about bringing that up last week. So they had because they, you know, they were running the test by flying into the sun. Right. Yeah. Then they like leave that. And then Beverly steals a shuttle. And luckily, they happen to be right near another sun, apparently. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. Like, well, yeah. Good yeah. thing. Like our, our one stop was a star, followed by another stop that's also a star. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So the Batleth, right? I'm not yeah. sure how practical a weapon this is, but it is a cool looking weapon. Sure. Yeah. And I've always kind of wanted a Batleth. And then I heard this week that they're made of hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I want a Batleth anymore. No, really? That, that did it for you? <laughs> that was it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Because gross. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, it's hair and ore, whatever ore comes out of that uh, volcano, and then put it in water, and yeah. boom, bat left. Yeah, still your starting ingredient is hair. Yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Um, man, how long have we been asking for this? That we finally get to meet some Klingons who aren't warriors. And and it's interesting to see how vague we keep that 1500 years of Klingon history. You know, who knows how much or how little advancement occurred in that time, because all we know is that uh, Kalas just pointed to a distant star and he's like, yep, I'm going to appear over there. And this could have been like during, you know, the Iron Age or the Industrial Revolution on Klingon, on Kronos. And they could have been like, right. well, we better hurry up and get a bunch of nerdy Klingons to develop starships to get over there. A cabal of nerdy Klingons, I believe a is cabal. what you're talking about. A cabal yeah. of nerdy Klingons, yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's quite possible he had to walk. Maybe that's why it took him 1,500 years. Did you ever think of that? Oh, yeah. Well, that's very true. Actually, we know it took him 1,500 years because they're faking the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. yeah, I did like the dig, actually, at the monoculture that Kalis himself outs the Klingons on, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like he, he says to them all is bloodlust, all that's left in your hearts. Yeah. <laughs> right. He's not who he is because the rules say he is. I mean, he doesn't do what he does because he thinks that's what you're supposed to do. He is who he is because he takes joy in it. He takes joy in being a Klingon. He revels in being a Klingon. Yeah. Which is kind of neat to see because even the laughs from a lot of Klingons aren't actually joyful laughs. It really was interesting to see him just start like like laughing in the middle of that fight. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Although, you know, I did find myself wondering, wow, what if Worf had like killed him right there? <laughs> not like while he's laughing, but just before that, because it's established he's not the greatest fighter, right? Right. Right. I mean, he's not a bad fighter, but he's not the greatest fighter. Like if Worf had just like put a bat left, like, you know, straight through him, like he did that other Klingon that time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then like, so, so what do we do now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? We got this whole church. We got these people. All these people have seen this happen. It's like, wow, you just like, you, you just killed me. The, well, a messiah, maybe the messiah, maybe not. Right. We don't know. But uh, speaking of that, like, can we just talk about the the importance here? Uh, according to Picard, it's like, oh, war. If you didn't show up for work on time, and you've got all these fire pots and candles in your room, and you're kind of surly, this is terrible. I I remember that time you killed somebody on the Enterprise. <laughs> I remember that. But this, this, you're late for work. Yeah. Well, he wouldn't remember it. He would have heard about it. Like, like Riker remembers it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he was standing right there when it happened, standing <laughs> right. right there when it happened. Right. Right. Yeah. It's kind of amazing that Riker is like going to go in. Like the second he saw the fire, he should have been like, OK, you guys go in. <laughs> See what's going on. Because I've seen this movie and it doesn't end well for somebody. Uh, there's a great line here uh, that Worf says to Kalos. Questions are the beginning of wisdom. The mark of a true warrior. Um, Okay, from now on, I'm just going to say you can follow anything with the mark of a true warrior. That's really because it's it's Kayla saying like a leader, you know, people will follow a leader. If the leader says to run, you run. If the leader says die, you die. And I'm thinking, well, okay, is that the mark of a true warrior? Because then Worf can just come back and say, no, this is the mark of a true warrior. I'm going to say, I like butter on my sandwiches. That's the mark of a true warrior. Ah, Mm -hmm. the mark of a true warrior. Indeed. It's so funny that you actually say that. Maybe we're both hungry. Maybe. (laughs) Because I was just going to say, I'm going to go have a sandwich. Oh, yes, a sandwich. 
the mark of a true warrior. Yeah. And Kales's reply, essentially saying that you should never question a leader, is terrible. That this is kind of terrible leadership. Although I'm glad that Worf comes back with saying, like, only if the leader has earned the trust of the people he leads. Thank you. That is the mark of a true warrior. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing, because I actually had a note about this, too. It's it's a little bit confusing because those scenes butt right up against each other. Mm -hmm. But we're given to understand that it's actually been three days sure. between them. Sure. I'm still troubled by the speed with which KLS turns, because day one, KLS is like, ah, I like that you're a skeptic. Yeah. And day three is like, you're still a skeptic? <laughs> Kind of starting to get annoying, Worf. Yeah. But I mean, so there was a little bit of time there, at least. It wasn't It wasn't just like, you know, Worf said, I have questions. And Kayla said, shut up. I mean, it's, you know, it was after three days that Kayla was like, kind of like a dad. We'll get there when we get there. Yeah. And if you ask me again, I'll kill you. <laughs> so I did like, like, I think we've talked before. Who is it that we talk about? Is it the Klingons who are always so literal? Because we talk about Worf being like terribly literal, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, he is at least. Yeah. Yeah. So Kalos tells the story about the guy outside the walls. Right. Uh, when the wind came and then the wind came and they blew that guy away. And mm -hmm. Gowron's like, yeah, what was his name? <laughs> really? That's supposed to be a literal story. It's like if Jesus had told the story of the good Samaritan and they're like, oh, yeah, what was the Samaritan called? And Jesus is like, uh, Tim. <laughs> Tim the Samaritan was the guy's name, because otherwise, you know, yeah, right. It struck me as kind of odd. What was his name? What color were his eyes? Mm -hmm. oh, mm -hmm. Really? Really? Because I can't speak in parable. Okay. Good for Tim you. Tim is the name of a true warrior. <laughs> I'm glad, by the way, uh, remember Worf's kid, Alexander. I'm, I'm glad they threw in a line about him, because he, he's, he's got a kid. It's good to know. So at least he's... Did they say anything about Alexander? There, there's a line about how he's really? taken care of by uh, by uh, Worf's father. Yeah. Okay. I seriously watched this a few times and did not hear that at all. Yeah. Just a little throwaway thing. Like, oh, yeah. 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 Um, let's see. Data. Okay. Data became upset. I believe I'm quoting that correctly. Data became upset that he was merely an android limited by his programming. Doesn't that mean by definition that he is something beyond his programming unless his programming says okay get upset anytime somebody reminds you that you're an android it's almost like he has emotions this is going to surprise you but we'll be talking about data in a few minutes john i'm glad to know that um by the way the klingons man are they missing their calling they can clone someone and program their memories. <laughs> Why just use that to bring back Kaless? Make 10,000 Kaless or any other awesome historical figure. Do it. My feeling, honestly, is the galaxy is now officially in disarray. This is worse than the Manchurian Candidate, right? Mm -hmm. Not mm -hmm. not since conspiracy has there been such a potentially devastating well, conspiracy. Because mm -hmm. um, yep. they can just beam whomever. And this goes back to the whole thing about what kind of transport are they using. They can beam whoever they want to, wherever they want, uh, with approximations of a person's memories. And it doesn't even have to be as big a deal as what they did with Kalos, mm -hmm. right? Like, so you need somebody to go in and argue your case for you, yeah. right? Or you need somebody to go in and, like, screw everything up. You just, you know, clone a Picard and send him in just long enough to say... And another thing about the Romulans, <laughs> right? That's all you really need to do. You just need like that long. The Guardians of Kalos really need to be put under lock and key. Like now. Remember the time the engineer, who could not see, taught the android to paint. 
This time, the android, who cannot feel, has a come to Kalis meeting with the Klingon. get to the chewy chocolate center of rightful air in a moment, but first, a word from our good friends at Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection. New ships coming, John. New ships are coming. Yes, new ships coming from our friends at Eagle Moss, the official Star Trek Starships collection. Uh, need I remind you, officially authorized by CBS and full of awesome detail, we have talked so much about how we love these little ships and just recently they have revealed what is coming up to issue 100 100 of these beautiful little ships so uh just give you a little preview uh we have the little uh flight training craft uh that you may remember from the first duty um i, I said it was the one that uh wesley used to kill one of his classmates but no that that's that's just me <laughs> taking artistic liberty with it one of his classmates died in one of those ships. Yeah. yeah. Aided by Wesley Crusher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what else do we have after that? We have uh, number 98, the Rhode Island from Voyager. Uh, it appeared in the episode Endgame. And then we've got the Arctic One, which is an assimilated ship from Enterprise. You may remember Regeneration from Enterprise, and you have an assimilated ship there by the Borg. And finally, finally, issue 100 NCC-176, the USS Horizon, 22nd century ship. Now, where did we first hear about the Horizon? Well, we heard about it with a piece of the action. That was the ship that went to Iosha and left behind that book about Chicago gangsters of the 1920s. So that really? would, yeah, so that would have been the ship. That, that's what it was named. So now, now you have your link to TOS. But here's what's interesting about the design of that ship, which only was shown much, much later. The Horizon design is based on one of Matt Jeffrey's original designs for the Enterprise. So you kind of have this big ball at the front of the ship where instead of having a saucer like you have on what we know of the Enterprise, you have this big kind of kind of resembles another famous ship in science fiction history. It looks like the Discovery from 2001 to me anyway. It does. I mean, it's yeah. well, I mean, the front of it does because the front of it's just that big ball, which is basically what the discovery was. Now, of course, right. I mean, the, the back half of it looks like, well, kind of like the Enterprise, except with a big like oil drum instead of <laughs> yeah. that, that, that really cool uh, fuselage down the middle. But um, yeah, it's, it's interesting, though, to find because you said this was one of his original designs. And of course, we first saw the Enterprise. Well, we didn't see it. We didn't see the Enterprise till 66, but people first saw the Enterprise in 64 with, of course, the cage. Yeah, yeah. So he was working out these designs. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's kind of amazing because it really does, it feels a lot like the Discovery to me, but of course we didn't see the Discovery until 68. Yeah. When 2001 A Space Odyssey came out, so that's kind of neat. So yeah, so that's what you got like like uh, for issue 100. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you don't start with issue 100, of course. I mean, you're going to work your way through for quite a while as far as you know, how that happens. Because you, you, you get those ships. You get a bunch of ships between now and those ships. Uh, you get a physical magazine to go along with the ships to tell you all about it. Like when you get to episode 100 or issue 100 or ship 100, you'll probably learn all about, uh, all about those, uh, those first designs in those early days as well. You get all that for $20 per ship. You get two ships a month. You get two magazines a month. You get the two digital magazines a month. 
and that comes out to 40 bucks a month. And then one of the things that we love as well, extra surprises as you go along. So, like we've talked before about the about the plates from the from the different bridges of the ships that you can get. I'm having a hard time remembering what a lot of them are right now, but I don't want to tell you what they are anyway because then they wouldn't be surprises, <laughs> would they? Now, the really cool thing is you can start all of this at a crazy low price. You can get the Enterprise 1701D. Uh, that of course is the one uh, with the young with the young Captain Picard at the helm and a young um, Will Riker. Uh, near the helm, and um, I think you know the ship I'm talking about. You get the Enterprise D and its accompanying magazine for $4.95 to try it out. Yeah, and uh, if you want to sign up today, and why wouldn't you want to sign up, the address is st-starships.com slash mission log. st-starships.com slash mission log. So try it out. You will be supporting our show. You'll be building your own collection and it is completely risk-free guaranteed. So that address again is st-starships.com slash mission log and a big, big thanks to Eagle Moss for sponsoring mission log. All right. I have a question. All right. Logically, would data have assumed that he was more than the sum of his parts or would he have assumed um, that you and I are not? Huh. Well, hmm. Yeah. Because okay, Data's saying... Why would he make... Yeah. Well, I mean, data saying that he made a leap of faith is um, crud. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. That's, that's one of the words I was looking for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the nicest uh-huh. one I could think to use. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what Data knows is that he cannot say can't. But he believes that he can be more than just a machine. And I'm going to say, no, he cannot. But it's okay, because he is an awesome machine. Yeah. What Data can be is more than anybody else realized. He can choose to not be undone by the fact that he came uh, with some assembly required. The fact that he's manufactured does not, in the Star Trek universe, and perhaps someday not in our own universe, uh, preclude him from personhood. But I have a problem with data, you know, I am a robot. I cannot feel. I do not feel any of these things that you are talking about. I cannot feel these things. Pulling Worf aside and saying, yeah, yeah, I just took this leap of faith, man. I just decided to believe. I just decided I'm going to believe. I was so upset I had to believe it. (laughs) Right. I mean, look, from anybody else, that's fine. Jordy, the blind guy, maybe he had to overcome something there. Barclay, maybe we've actually written him up now to the point that he's like, remember me like three seasons ago? I just knew that I could be something more. He's a machine Mm -hmm. and he's not going to have any problem with being a machine. But he's going to now say, well, I had a real problem with being a machine, so I decided I'm not going to be, even though I am. And I'll remind you next week, by the way, that I am a machine. But, you know, this week I'm not going to be, because that furthers along some plot, apparently. Mm. Maybe there's this thing. Maybe Dr. Sung was that prescient that he just wrote in this little thing that Data doesn't even believe it. It's just like, <laughs> here's, here's the pep talk program for your friend right. who's having a crisis, a crisis of faith. Of faith. Right. A, specifically a crisis of faith. Yes. Not just not like yeah. a crisis of like, oh, I drank too much last night or a crisis right. of, oh, I'm never going to make it to my next rank, whatever that is. No, a crisis of faith. Yeah. Play tape 21C and then <laughs> go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, this is an episode where there's just so much here, just so much to talk about. And I feel like, so you know how we've had episodes where we get to this segment and we say, 
there's nothing to talk about. We should just jump ahead to the next segment. Mm-hmm. I feel like this segment might actually be a little shorter than it needs to be because so much of what we have to discuss is tied up in the morals, meanings, messages. Uh, do we agree with it? Do we not? Is it a good moral meaning message? Is it not? Um, but there is a lot to chew on here. So we'll, we'll kind of tease that here. And I feel like we're going to have a lot more to talk about when we wrap it up. I will say, though, it is you and me. I feel certain we will find a way to lengthen this uh, segment. No problem. Oh, people better <laughs> just strap down now for like a good three hour discussion on the metaphysics and spirituality of Star Trek. And um yeah, remember that mail can be sent to Ken. Uh, so, um, so first of all, there, there's a, a question sort of posited by this show. Is it better to live with the fiction if the fiction works? Or is it better to know the truth? And I'm doing that with a capital T as opposed to the truth. And we'll put that with a little T and in quotes. Because the, those are the two things that are at odds here. So... Is the lie propagated by, let, let's call it the Church of Klingon, uh, oh, is that acceptable? Uh, why did you say they should send this to me? I'm sorry. This, this mail goes to you. No question. <laughs> right. Well, so the, the Church of Klingon is propagating a lie. Mm-hmm. Here. And, and does their goal, which is a good and lofty and noble goal to bring peace to the Klingon Empire, to stop the infighting, does that goal justify their means? I'm not even sure why you're saying that's their goal. We don't know that that's their goal. We know that that's what the Kalos puppet says is their goal. What we really know is Koroth and company are looking to, you know, get a bit more power than they've had. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, not to, not to interrupt you, except I did. Well, no, but I mean, they, they programmed Kalos with at least this idea that that's what's happening in the Klingon Empire. So he, Well, yeah, but you, you know. saw the Manchurian candidate. I mean, <laughs> that only... No, seriously. I mean, yeah, because yeah. they have now... They've resurrected, quote-unquote. They've grown. They've brought back a guy with a certain number of ideas and ideals that he's just walking around, you know, spouting. Yeah. But who knows then what happens when he, when he becomes emperor? Is there some, like, a little thing, like some technicality by which he might seize power? At some point, mm-hmm. really, we're gonna we're supposed to believe that everything. I'm sorry, I'm 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 getting worked up already. No, no, no this apologize. is good. This, you let it out, let it out. This is why we do a show every week so we can get this out. Okay, so so now we have we have the Church of Klingon, as you say, we have Kalos and the followers of Kalos mm-hmm. or the guardians of Kalos, right? Saying, okay, tell you what, uh, just make me a puppet, just make me a figurehead, make me the thing that people turn to. But don't worry, you're gonna have the power, yeah. really, because if the people are turning to that guy. You don't have the power anymore. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. No, exactly. <laughs> Just random thought. Well, and, but again, you have to wonder what they did in this genetic creation that is Kalas. So they, they, they trained him. They, they used this, what, you know, neurosynaptic programming. Mm-hmm. Um, they could also sort of neuter him to the respect that he would do what the priests and or Gowron at some point tell him to do. Yeah, you've also got to figure that they've been doing this up until about five minutes before they beamed him in, because yeah. the Kalos clone knew a story about Worf from when he was a kid. Okay, that's that's twisted. Worf would have only told that story since he got to Borath, which was only about ten or eleven days ago, because that's how no, that's how long we know he's been sitting there trying to have his vision. So yeah. I mean, he's programmable really up until you turn him on. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then and then all those priests are taking notes. They're like, okay, in Kalas version two, <laughs> yes. uh, give the guy in the wind parable a name. Hmm, we'll write that down. To, you know, <laughs> yeah. nice. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Did you see? Um, uh, was it Leap of Faith? Was that the name of the movie? Actually, the one with um, Steve Martin. The one with Steve Martin, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Where they showed the trick where they basically had people walking around listening to people sitting there saying things like, wow, I really hope he can take care of my lumbago today, yeah. right? No, exactly. And then Steve Martin gets handed the note, and then he's up on stage saying, somebody in the third section is hoping for help with their lumbago. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The, the, this I mean, is... they're, they're doing that. They're running, they're running a tent revival scheme this is how james randy took down peter popoff um it's a parlor trick and and yeah it's as bad as benny hinn getting radio messages so he can do hot readings not a cold reading it's a hot reading on people during a faith healing show it's it's so twisted and sick yeah and yet and yet it works yet it works on people who decide they want to believe because they want to believe now, here's the thing. I like what Worf is going through in this episode. It's a short show. Um, and he explores his beliefs. He convinces himself of the truth. Uh, and that would be little t in quotes. Then evangelizes it to everyone. Um, and, and then he has to fight with what is the actual truth. And then try to come to some sort of peace within himself about it. He actually has a lot to do here. It's more than what we're given for most characters in 48 minutes. Mm -hmm. Because you and I have lamented the fact over and over again. Oh, well, you only have the confines of this show. You can only go so far. And then you have to kind of wrap things up. But um, this is pretty heavy to hand all of this to Worf. And Worf's not even in every scene. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool that we actually get to explore that much with him um i also kind of thought you know uh if we here on earth in the early 21st century where it is becoming more and more possible not gonna say likely but possible to do something like let's say resurrect a woolly mammoth um and that is a, a genuine ethical question if this is something that we could or should do um you know, why stop there when you can resurrect a, a Beethoven or Stalin or, you know, Fatty Arbuckle? Why would you want to resurrect Stalin? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Go somebody nice. How about Charlie Chaplin? Charlie Chaplin. I'd love that. Yeah. 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 Let's not let's not do Stalin right <laughs> off. No, I'm not saying I would want to. I'm saying that in a world where that is a possibility, that would be somebody's possibility, you know, um, which then again raises another question is, is a clone the same thing? And physically, yeah, but not in learning or temperament or experience. You know, all these other things immediately make that clone different from the original. So are you really accomplishing what it is that you're setting out to do? And that's where we get back to that twisted mind control that the uh, Klingon priests are sort of carrying out on this version of Kaelas. And, you know, maybe they've, maybe they've been tweaking them over the years. Who knows? Maybe they started doing this a couple of centuries ago and they just, this might be Kaelas number 362. And they're just, you know, keep upping the program each time waiting for a guy like Worf to come along. Well, you got like a Coniglius thing going on there, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I sure do. I sure do. Uh, really quickly, people are not going to believe this, but there's actually a song about what you were just talking about, about cloning all these different people. Mm-hmm. Except it is, a, uh, it is about a time machine, actually. It's, mm. um, it's Elvis Costello and the Brodsky Quartet off of the album, the one album they did together, The Juliet Letters, and it's a Damnation Cellar. 
Hmm. And it's all about who we should go back and get if we could actually go back and get anybody hmm. and why we would. It's actually a very nice, light, lovely little song. Um, that's a really weird album, actually, because some of it's a lot of fun and some of it's incredibly dark. <laughs> but um, it's not often that I can say, oh, interesting that you're talking about bringing back dead leaders, John, because I know the perfect song for you. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. So, mm-hmm. so that's there. Damnation Cellar, Elvis Costello, Tell Your Friends. <laughs> um, I'm not sure that Worf is right in thinking that the Klingon people are going to follow this imitation K-less. Yeah. He seems to think that Imitation KLS will stand as a symbol to which people can turn to live as honorable Klingons. And the weird thing to me, though, is we have symbols of all sorts of religions of all sorts all over the place. Mm -hmm. And there are people who follow them and people who don't follow them. And they may profess a given religion. They may even wear symbols of that religion. uh, But their day-to-day dealings are independent of what the symbol is said to stand for. And let me say really quickly... If that's offending you, I'm not necessarily talking about you. We've had letters in the past from people who think that we're castigating believers anytime we say anything about religion. Yeah. Let me say for the record, I'm not castigating a believer. Uh, I'm castigating hypocrisy. Sure. And, you know, there are hypocrites everywhere in all kinds of religions. Um, there are also holy men and women in all kinds of religions. And among their followers, there are plenty of people who truly believe. And then there are people who just want to wear the symbols. They want to wear the garb. They want the air of piety uh, without doing, you know, what the beliefs actually call them to do, what the words actually call them to go. You actually sort of misrepresented, I think, uh, something that Kayla said at mm-hmm. the end of the episode. You said, hey, what does it matter who the person is, right? And that's actually not what he said. What he said was um, uh, talking about whether the real Kayla will come back. He actually said, if his words hold wisdom and his philosophy is honorable, what does it matter if he returns? What's important is that we follow his teachings. Uh, perhaps the words are more important than the man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Says yeah. imitation Kalas, who's going to go and pretend to be actual Kalas. <laughs> right. I mean, now right. I know they're not telling anybody. I mean, they're, they're going to tell everybody the truth about who he really is. But that actually seemed to me to be a very profound thing to say there. I mean, basically what Kalas is boiling all this down to is it's not about your religion. It's about the beliefs of your religion it's not about you know whether or not the deity is actually divine it's about if they're saying good things can you carry those good things out into the world with you or out into the worlds with you in the case of star trek i felt like you sort of undersold his point at the end there and and i think i think in that respect kales or kales light imitation kales whatever actually had some good stuff to say Um, I'm still not sure he's good, though. With the entire future of the Klingon Empire on an entirely new path, it is time for us to see what we can take from this episode, whether we want to or not. can't tell you. I, well, I can. You can tell me. <laughs> well, yeah, I, okay, I can tell you. I won't tell anybody else. Yeah, do me a favor. Don't tell anybody else. Yeah. 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 You were not the first person to make the rightful hair joke. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> I can't remember if you made it on mic or not, but off mic you made it, and I've talked to other people, and they made the rightful hair joke as well. But I decided, you know, I'm already doing the bat hair joke, so I really can't do both. Yeah. 
And yet here I am, because I think I'm a little uneasy about going where we're going next. Because where we're going next is to the uh, the part of the show where we decide about the messages, morals, and meanings of a given episode, which I think will be fairly easy to do for this one, and whether or not uh, the episode holds up, thanks in part to those messages, morals, and meanings. Mm -hmm. And there, well, here there be monsters. (laughs) (laughs) Let's start uh, with that question, sir, Mr. Champion. Uh, Rightful hair. I'm sorry. Rightful air. Does the episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Well, see, here's the thing. As an episode of TV, I have to kind mm-hmm. of separate it from Star Trek for a moment. As an episode of TV, I think there are all kinds of things that hold up about this. It's full of good production value, you know, interesting set pieces and a lot of good actors. And we deepen a character here. In the greater scheme of things, we're deepening the Klingon mythology. But again, we don't have to necessarily talk about it as star trek for a moment uh although we introduced some nerdy klingons that we were waiting for so that's that's kind of cool yeah so for all these production reasons and also also the idea that there's something that we kind of want star trek to do which is to present deep and heavy and interesting ideas that make you think and cram them all into a 48-hour entertaining sci-fi show. (laughs) I'm sorry. It only feels like 48 hours sometimes. It's actually 48 minutes. Oh, 48 minutes. Yes, yes, yes. Good, (laughs) good, good. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot it says taken a week, you know. (laughs) Right, right. Um, But, yeah, so for so much of that, they they got that right and they they made this into a good episode now here's the thing this is going to be a rarity on our show and i remember somebody asked me this one time and i didn't have a really great answer for it what's mm-hmm. an episode where the episode held up but the morals meanings messages did not mm-hmm. this is the episode and this is one of them because i cannot extricate this episode from the message and the message or messages are kind of terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I want to save what I think some of the messages are for a moment here, and, and I'll just ask you about the, the episode first, and I think we're going to overlap a lot in what we find in the messages. So as a production, as a piece, what do you think? Well, yeah, as a production, as a piece, it's fine. I mean, the writing is good. It actually moves along at an even clip. Um, you do learn some stuff about Worf. There's some stuff that's a bit incongruous, but it's okay because we're going so fast. I mean, Picard shows up angry. Picard <laughs> shows up angry at Worf, but it's okay because it lasts for about 30 seconds because we're moving at a really fast clip in this episode. Um, we cover a lot of ground. I mean, this is sort of, this is the crawl at the beginning of A New Hope or The Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm, right? I mean, this mm-hmm. is that. This is this is okay. So the entire... In the last movie, the Klingon Empire was this. In this movie, the Klingon Empire is this. This 48 minutes is that crawl. Yeah. And and it's, it's really well done as far as that's concerned. Um, the difficult part is to say whether or not the writing is any good, because no. I mean, I mean, dialogue is fine. Stories are fine. I like the parable of the guy outside the wall. I think it's actually, I think that's a, sort of a fun parable. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually funny that Gowron is like... What was his name? <laughs> it's actually it's kind of amusing. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really great writing here um, that's pretty much undone by what they've written. Yes. So are you going next or am I? Because, I mean, I, I can lie down if you want to. Or Why don't you do it? Okay. Well, look, I mean, first and foremost, the, the, this 
this message that we've seen a few times in Star Trek, and every time it happens, we just sort of like our eyes get big and we fall back into our chair and wait, wait, did they just do this again? Did they just do another ends justify the means story? Mm -hmm. This is another ends justify the means story. And it's not just like, oh, well, we're. You know, we're, we're going to forgive this one maybe slightly unethical thing because, oh, it, it will, uh, you know, help the children or feed the poor or whatever. No, th- this is like on a cultural scale, a planetary, an empire, multi-planetary <laughs> scale right. that we're just saying, eh, it's justify the means, you know. Um, and, and granted, granted, it's nobody from the Federation or representing the Federation saying this is fine, this is okay. This is a Klingon matter. Right. And as Picard makes clear at some point, hey, not, you know, not our circus, not our monkeys. So you guys can go do whatever you want to do. But still, we're meant to sort of identify with Worf's journey through this and where Worf ends up. It's just sort of like, uh, wow, really? This this is what's happening. We're going to say that this is a good solution that we've come up with here. Right. Um, so there's a thing about that that's a little bit disturbing, especially because, you know, Picard's the guy. Did, did anybody watch the first duty? Because, you know, we did that episode, and I'm pretty sure that, you know, Picard sat Wesley down and said, let me tell you what the first duty is. It's truth. You know, uh, what is it? Historical truth, philosophical truth, personal truth. I'm just going to name all the truths because he named some of them in that monologue. Um, And I feel like he needed to have that conversation with Worf. But instead, we had a robot trying to teach Worf about faith. Yeah. Well. It was very, very strange to me. Yeah. There's... um Gosh, there are about three or four things that you actually brought up there, and and I just lost one of them, which is kind of a bummer, but there's just so much going on here. Oh, I remember. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, we know the Klingons as people who are itching for a fight, right? Mm -hmm. They're always ready to throw down. They're always ready to fight. Now we've given them a religious leader for whom to fight, under whom to fight. And and this is a this is a guy, a religious figure, not even a religious leader, a religious figure, a mm-hmm. divine figure mm-hmm. who who prizes the fight and the joy of the fight among all else. And and I'm really glad Worf's time has been spent so well aboard the Enterprise. It feels to me like you have this whole culture settling for a vague imitation, right? Because he's been programmed, as we talked about before, and that means he is programmable, as we yeah. talked about before, and that means he is not Kalos. Yeah. He is blind obedience. He is blind patriotism. He's a flag pin on your lapel. He's a cross necklace on the legislator who's canceling programs for the poor. He's the cleric who talks about peace everlasting. If you'll just go out and blow up a certain number of people, he is a symbol and a symbol of what they think they're supposed to be. So they're going to follow. But we don't even really know what he's about or what he's up to. Mm -hmm. And also, he is not the divine thing that he is supposed to be. He is trappings. He is. He is. He's not real. Yeah. He's a copy of a guy, but we don't even know how that copy was made or what that copy was made or to what ends that copy was made. We know that he says that that's what he's there for, but we don't even know if he believes that that's what he's there for. But certainly we know that he is not the Kalos that he was supposed to be. There's a, or, or the Kalos that everyone's expected. Um, if you tell Galron, it will destroy him. Meaning mm-hmm. Kalos, the, one of the one of the guardians of Kalos is standing there saying, "If you tell Galron what Kalos really is, it will destroy him, and with him, the last chance to restore hope to our people." Says the priest, 
Yeah. Right. Says yeah. the guy who is at the top of that particular um, yeah, pyramid or chain or whatever near the top where we're supposed to look at everybody on Star Trek as some form of ourselves in a way, like you said. I mean, he's we've always talked about the fact that everybody there is a surrogate of some sort. And Worf is a surrogate of some sort, which I guess sort of means by extension, the Klingons are sort of surrogates of us of some sort as well. Um, this is an episode that says that we can't come to peace on our own. We need divinity, or as is the case in this episode, imitation divinity to keep peace. This is going to sound extreme, but this is a stake through the heart of Star Trek's secular humanism. Yeah. Just right there. That's the only way the Klingons are ever going to come to peace is if they believe in this, you know, sham religious leader. I'm not saying all religion is sham. Don't. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm saying what this episode is saying is the only way they're going to be able to hold it together is is through ideas that aren't even the real ideas. But they are, they are a semblance of the ideas. And so, this, I mean, this episode is brutal, as far as I'm concerned. This episode is the end, and, I, and I'm hoping it's not really the end, but this episode is the end of what, what we thought in TOS Star Trek was supposed to be. That's the most disturbing thing about this episode. And look, you and I have come on the air so many times in the last nearly five years that we've been doing this show mm -hmm. and we remind each other and we remind our audience hey this is fiction mm -hmm. hey there is no starfleet there is no enterprise but there are interesting moral and ethical and philosophical truths that can be found by discussing the fiction right this episode says Oh, it doesn't matter if it's fiction or not. It doesn't matter if it's real or just put truth out of your head as a thing that you should be looking for and actually hold in value. Put truth in some regard. Just don't worry about that. It's more important to just tell the story. I'm completely and utterly opposed to that idea. <laughs> completely yeah. and utterly opposed that that would be an option that anybody on Star Trek, because again, it's a show that positions itself as having a better philosophy, a better idea to get humanity to where we should be, not where we are. And I know that the Klingons aren't humans, but like you just said, they represent something about us because there is no such thing as a Kronos or a Worf or a Klingon Empire. Mm -hmm. So they have to represent some part of ourselves. And the idea that we would just sort of toss truth out the window in this way and say, well, it's okay as long as we get to where we think we should be. It's okay as long as we just sort of pull people together <laughs> under this religious leader who is just, as you put, a symbol that is so utterly disturbing in this episode that it was really painful to watch. And, you know, again, I, I'm so torn because I think this is such a well-produced episode, really, truly one of the worst messages to be presented in Star Trek. Yeah, it's weird because it really moves the Klingon story along. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But where we've been identifying with Worf, then I feel like we have to identify with the Klingons as well. And if we have to identify with the Klingons as well, then we have to consider the message that they've come to or the decision they've come to. And the decision they've come to is terrible. I mean, yeah. watching Worf's crisis of faith is interesting. Discussing a crisis of faith is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, there are those who question their various faiths. Others do not. Um, generally speaking, though, except in religious or academic settings, uh, it's rarely addressed, honestly. Oh, I'm this thing. Oh, okay. 
to have a character really consider who and what he or she is, I mean, he in this case, but to have mm-hmm. a character really consider, you know, who or what he is or what he believes is truly an interesting thing. Yeah. The decision he comes to and then the decision that everybody else agrees with them. And then, I mean, the guy who's going to be at the head of this whole thing is saying, look, and eh, no, this really matters. Don't worry about it. As long as we keep the idea alive, then it's cool. But now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go sit on the emperor's throne. Yeah, I mean that's it. it, it <clears throat> what was the episode? What was the episode where where we had this point with the Klingon Empire, and you, you were just like, you know what, burn it to the ground? It was the one where they all turned their back on Worf. Where Worf? Basically, oh, right during the Rite of Ascension. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. Yeah. Sins of the Father. I Thank think. you. Yes, sins of the Father. Right, where he finds out, yes, that the Klingon Empire has. Um, Yes, they framed his dad, and the higher-ups in the council actually know they framed his dad, but the whole thing will be torn apart if they um, if they let the truth come out, so they just decide to go ahead and live the lie. Yeah. Come to think of it, this is a wharf, This is really a wharf thing, isn't it? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Man. Uh, so is it about the Klingons, or is it about Worf? Well, it's about both of them. Yeah, it is. And, and, I, and I hate the message across the board for all. Does this episode hold up? Yeah, as far as production is concerned, sure. As far as the message is concerned, I know there are lots of people who would think so, and you can't count me among them. John? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, th- th- this is... Um, when I rewatched this for the first time, mm-hmm. knowing what I know about some of the people on the staff at Star Trek and and Gene's personal philosophy and how he tried to influence that staff who were there and about Ronald D. Moore himself, I thought it was going to go a very different direction. And I thought that their exploration of spirituality in the 24th century would lead to lead them to some different answers where their their crisis of faith or, or worse in this case might be oh, wow, I really do need to make sure that truth is first and foremost and build my worldview and my philosophy around that. And I was shocked that we ended up where we ended up. And then I kept watching it again and again, saying, is this going to stay the same every time I rewatch this? <laughs> Will that still be the message? Right, no, it's, it's, yeah. it's not one of those DVD games from the 90s. No, dude. it's oh, just a DVD. Okay. All right. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Roddenberry is up to a lot of cool stuff, including a new podcast network. Maybe you've heard of podcasts? You can find out about Women at Warp, Priority One, and a little show called Mission Log, the shows that comprise the Roddenberry Podcast Network, by going to podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to help support this show, you can do that directly. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the way to do that. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to check out Trek FM. That is Trek.FM. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit TrekMovie.com. Next week, Second Chances. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Promotional consideration for Mission Log provided by Rightful Hair. Whether heading into battle or pulling the wool over the eyes of an entire culture, you want your warrior locks to look their best. Rightful Hair. 
the mark and hair care product of a true warrior and transmission. 